Welcome to the ONS Energy Talks, a podcast where you meet experts on energy, technology, and sustainability. Hello, and welcome to a podcast by Learn and ONS. Our focus is on energy technology. My name is Sylvia Saris, and my guest today is Ranghil Ulvik, a Vice President for Corporate Innovation from Equinor. Welcome. Thank you. Um, Ranghil, you have a huge responsibility in a huge company, um, very resourceful, but also very demanding, given the size of the ship you need to kind of redirect. We'll talk about innovation in big companies and we'll talk about new kinds of energy technology. But before we do that, I was hoping to ask you a little bit about yourself, who you are and what drives you. Uh, my name is uh, Ragnar. I'm from Bergen, but currently I live in Oslo with my French husband and two uh, twin uh, girls are one year uh, old. Um, my passions, I would say, uh, is traveling and sports, and then of course energy technology. Uh, and I think uh, uh, I got into to this area or this business mainly because of the international aspect. That was what attracted me. But then I'm a bit of a, a sort of a technology uh, geek, you can say, and. Uh, realized fast that technology has a huge potential for uh, our industry and to shape uh, mm. how we uh, provide energy. Your background is a techie or? No, I'm actually an economist by background, but I try to hide this as, as much as I can <laughs> because in, in uh, this industry, you know, it's, uh, there are so many fascinating opportunities uh, on the technology side. So I've worked a lot with technology after I, I graduated and, and joined uh, Norsk Hydra at that time and then mm. uh, now Equinor. Uh, mm. So so that's been my focus or the interface between sort of the commercial part and the technology part. So how does one do corporate innovation in Equinor? Well, I think uh, our, our corporate innovation unit was established uh, just one and a half years ago uh, and that doesn't mean that innovation is new because we've done a lot of innovation, particularly on the technology side. But then uh, what we try to do now is to uh, look even wider, think about business models as well as technology, and also the way that we collaborate uh, with others, uh, drawing upon the great ID pool internally and also uh, that exists outside our company uh, with startups or with new types of, of partners that we don't collaborate with today. And I think it's it's just fascinating how much uh, enthusiasm and how many ideas uh, uh, are out there if we just manage to pick some of them and act upon them. And that's what we try to do. So how do you manage to scale these small, risky things uh, in a company that has such a established and 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 um, commercially very successful business model to start with well that is the challenge and, and that's why we, we try to set up some pockets to actually experiment with ideas and we we have piloted many ideas and recently we had a sort of a competition internally where we invited everyone to come up with business model ideas and we had 60 ideas that were then matured in uh, multidiscipline uh, teams and six of them were awarded one million to go ahead and sort of be incubated or take them to the next step. These are ideas by your own people. Those were internal ideas. Could you give us some examples? 
So uh, that it was a wide range of IDs and different maturity level as well. Uh, there was one ID on Toolshare where you sort of establish a platform for uh, offshore equipment, a bit like the Airbnb uh, mm-hmm. way, but for, for our industry. For drills uh, or for, platforms for, or... For, for smaller types of okay. equipment that we use on the platforms, mm. uh, but that we then could then use more efficiently across the different platforms that we have. Um, and there was one idea on fish farming, how we could connect to the aquaculture industry uh, and sort of use our insist- existing infrastructure, but at the same time uh, do uh, fish farming in a sustainable way uh, in the future. Mm. And those are just some examples. You know, the the potential, I think, is is huge, but it's difficult in a big company to get the time and funding to work on these ideas unless you really prioritize it. Yeah. And, and uh, maybe give some incentives to people as well. Exactly. That as risks. well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I um, interviewed a young man from Australia recently who works on uh, actually transferring some of the best technologies and ideas from the offshore sector uh, in, in, in oil uh, where we really are world leading uh, into things like fisheries and um, energy and aqua farming and many other things. And uh, I thought it was a brilliant idea. We actually have projects uh, on anything, things like floating cities, mm-hmm. uh, where we could also use our maritime competence and also, you know, uh, our ambition to provide energy. It fits very well. Uh, and we also now have a collaboration with students where they are uh, working with us to see how we can make use of uh, our platforms when there's not, not more oil to produce. Um, if there's any innovative way that we can sort of use that for, for something in the future. And that's quite uh, engaging to work with the students because they don't have all the sort of limitations that we have uh, when we work in this industry for a long time, because then we maybe we don't see the potential or the new ideas, uh, but they are super creative and uh, I'm quite excited in a few weeks they'll present uh, what they've come up with after working for some weeks on this. I think it's really important in very established companies to actually allow people because to, to, to do new stuff and to show that they have just as much of a creative muscle as people who are in you know, entrepreneurial settings. Um, and, and if you provide them with the right scale-up tools and the right sandboxing or whatever, uh, you actually might have the most innovative company in Norway to work with, or maybe even internationally. I don't know. What what do you think about Norwegian advantages in this new energy tech space? Well, I think that uh, what Norway really has as an advantage is uh, our sort of collaborative culture, because I think that there's not one company or one individual that will you know, find the solutions for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we see more and more that we do things in consortia or in collaboration with others. Mm-hmm. And I think that being open to that and being used to sharing and collaborating will sort of help uh, the whole Norwegian ecosystem to be a, have an important role uh, in shaping the future as well uh, in our industry. Um I have asked you why do you think what you do is exciting? And I mean, apart from the obvious, um, you you also say that you like to solve big challenges, not only for your company, but also for society. Um, And I have to play the female card now, because my impression is that more and more women are actually studying technology and getting into 
very commercial new business modeling around that technology exactly because they see the social change is necessary and can only be provided when you combine technology and business. You say you have a business background. Um, how, how do you, you know, you also ha obviously have a social gene. Uh, how, how, how important is that to you? How, how do you connect what you do to social challenges and, and, and opportunities perhaps? Well, I think that, uh, you know, uh, obviously being economist, I do see the business side of things, but it just gives everything a purpose to be part of solving the, the bigger challenges that our society is facing at the same time. And I think actually that's where the money will be for the companies as well. I think if And we, the talent attraction as well, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just looking at uh, the, the fantastic people that work with these challenges and the opportunities it gives... Uh, and it's quite quite rewarding, I think, to feel that you're part of actually shaping the future uh, and and solving some big issues. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, I find that quite inspiring. The, you you are kind of um, knee deep in one of these big uh, controversies around you know carbon based um, fuel versus all the sustainability goals related to climate and so on. Uh, yet, um, I mean, <laughs> the world needs energy and uh, we know how to provide a certain kind of energy in a very relatively sustainable way. H how do you balance, you know, doing new stuff versus doing stuff that's oil and gas related? Well, we try to, to do uh, a bit of both, but uh, our focus is to provide energy in sustainable ways. And I think we do need to continue with oil and gas to, mm. to make that happen. And I think Actually, in Norway, we're quite good at at uh, providing energy sustainably. Um, we try, uh, in my unit, to think a bit further ahead than what we do today. Uh, so focusing on the sort of more radical uh, and disruptive things. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that it cannot be changing completely the, the way that we also do oil and gas. So uh, we, we currently discuss a lot the balance between sort of exploiting our current business and exploring for the future and if we don't manage to to generate uh you know profits and have a good business today we don't have a, have the funding or have a company that can uh solve the solutions in the future i think we have to kind of work with both hands one hand Absolutely. improving the the current business model and efficiencies and then the other one finding alternatives that eventually become both price competitive and socially necessary. And you mentioned a couple of really interesting examples um, from Equinor. Um, there is a floating wind turbine, high wind project, and um, you do uh, these connected energy systems as well. Could you, could you say a few words about these technologies and the energy systems in, in evolution? Well, I think the, the high wind example is one that I find really fascinating because it started out uh, just with a small pilot offshore Norway that was very expensive and you know it was difficult to see the potential of it it's a floating uh, wind turbine farm so so the first was one turbine mm -hmm. uh, but now uh, we see we've sort of improved the concept and lower the cost and we have the first offshore wind uh, farm with several uh, of these turbines in Scotland uh, and we see the potential in several locations internationally uh, uh, as well. And is this innovative internationally? 
Well, it's the first ever uh, mm. floating wind turbine uh, that's you know been uh, matured and is now viable as a solution that you can scale up. Uh, so, so just so I understand, uh, offshore wind farms were still something that was uh, rigged to the floor, seabed. Seabed, yes. And this is not. This, this is, one is somehow floating. floating. Exactly. And the thing doesn't blow away. <laughs> no. I knew, I mean, I'm, I cannot answer the detail, the technical <laughs> questions of it, but you can, it started out actually with the, some engineers discussing, uh, they, I think they saw that one of these, uh, uh, you know, poles that connect the boat and I thought, what if we put a windmill on top of that? And what if we, you know, uh, made it bigger Balance and, it. you know, and, and then they started in a sort of a bathtub experimenting and it was all existing technology in a way, but just applied in a, in a new and innovative way. And you can foresee, you know, in the future that you could have uh, great potential with wind farms or providing energy uh, with that. So um, <clears throat> um, are there new problems? I'm, I'm just trying to think we, this is a very nice way to then, I guess, move these floating farms um, and, and so on. But Every technology solves a problem and creates new ones. And how, how do you go about thinking about all the new challenges that these things introduce? Well, I think uh, uh, we, we look, I guess, more uh, to the opportunities it can give. Uh, because imagine, you know, if you're, we, we had uh, several people discussing, you know, how can you use those uh, floating wind turbines to create power offshore far mm. away from where you could fix something to the seabed and so on. Mm. So it's more opportunity-driven in that sense uh, and just uh, allowing yourself to experiment with that because when this started, then uh, it was something that seemed very far-fetched and there were a lot of problems. I think we always uh, easily see the difficult things. It's uh, exactly the, the answer I was looking for. Okay. Because I think... <laughs> Because I, I think very often we are so bogged down in all the things that are difficult and unknown, and most of them never materialize. And I think we need to solve these problems as they turn up. It's just that we need to be quick at solving them and we need to understand because new opportunities turn up as well without us being able to predict them always. Yeah. And uh, I was fascinated. Also, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, as in controversies, things related to artificial intelligence and human enhancement and uh, I mean, we are going to maybe become uh, energy uh, producers ourselves for all we know. But I think um, we shouldn't stop doing all kinds of new medicine because we still don't know exactly uh, how it will play out. But we have to learn fast. And I guess that's yeah. what you're trying to instill in your organization. Yeah. And, and of course, it's not everyone who should focus on the sort of radically new, but I think we can we're far from uh, from over focusing on that, and I think we can uh, sort of. I've seen many creative minds being sort of awakened by by just allowing people to play a bit and experiment. Uh, I don't think it's a lack of ideas; it's more our ability to pick up the mm. ideas and, and act on them. That's uh, the challenge. We talked a little bit about Norwegian advantage, but I also want to ask you about the international advantage of. Um... Equinor. So you have people from Brazil and you have people from Houston and you have people from all over the world. Are you able to get their different perspectives into something magic? Well, we're trying to, to capitalize on the fact that we have people on the ground in many different places and also that we have a big diversity in our organization. Because mm -hmm. even in, in our, uh, you know, uh, pe people in Norway or in teams in Norway, we have uh, 
good diversity. Uh, I realized after we had our internal com- uh, innovation competition that a lot of the ideas actually came from the people sitting outside of Norway. Uh, they were much more sort of creative or had a different culture, especially from the U.S., obviously, uh, of pitching and selling ideas. And that's mm. something that we can can learn from our colleagues there. Mm. Uh, but also uh, just having a, a global presence makes you, you know, pick up signals from different parts of the world in a different way, mm. which is very useful. Um, I asked you, where do you go to, to read and learn? And um, <clears throat> uh, you, you said... Um, that you that you you are a fan of engaging with people, uh, and and I I like that so much because I think uh, first of all if people knew how much fun I have doing these podcasts then everybody would try to get this <laughs> job from me, um, but we are not um, we we often feel that you know we need to talk about what we need to talk about in order to get to the core of the meeting and get on with it and move you know and it's the agenda and don't swerve uh, from that. But I think actually allowing ourselves both process and time to inspire each other and really curiously try to dig on the other side and, you know, what can you teach me uh, is probably the the oldest and the most attractive way to learn. I fully agree. And you somehow managed to create some space for that at work? Yeah, we have... uh, have various uh, initiatives you know we have uh, projects together with students where we invite them to come up with solutions to some sort of established problems or challenges to get some new perspectives uh we have um something you know uh called innovation waffle or these events where you just gather people because mm-hmm. when they meet uh the ideas you know can be picked up by uh by one person and built on by the next we have the same in a sort of uh, online forum where we share and shape ideas mm. and then recently we had uh, uh, an external accelerator where we invited 10 startups to sit in our offices uh, and actually to work their ideas for three months by being physically located uh, together mm. with us in a way and that's that creates a lot of situations just by the coffee machine or you know when they uh, work that mm. you learn so much more from than any uh, article that you could uh, read or uh, a book that you could read energy gets created in meetings between real people <laughs> yeah um, would you like to leave a, a quote as a little gift to our listeners well i think uh, t- something that to me at least shapes how we uh, need to work for the the future uh, is an african proverb that says uh, if you want to be uh, fast go alone if you want to go far then go together and that at least shapes how I, my philosophy on how we can uh, can do something big, both for Equinor and for our society. It has to be in collaboration with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that's of great importance. If people are to remember one thing from our conversation, what would you like it to be? I think just engage with people around you uh, and be curious uh, because it's in those meetings that, and, and you know, in multidisciplinary or diverse team that things get created. And I would just encourage all the listeners to, to think about how they can act on, on the ideas that they see. Very, very inspiring, Rangel Ulvik from Equinor. Thank you for coming here and sharing with us your innovation perspectives both on traditional business and all the new fun stuff you guys are doing thank you thank you for listening